0: Welcome to Money Talks. My name is Michael Campbell. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a royalty-based investment, which means the investors get paid first. There are no fees associated with it, and it's in the tech sphere. So for more information, go to soleraclub.com. When Justin Trudeau was questioned why he promised to have a gender balance cabinet, he immediately shot back because it's 2015. Apparently, the line came from one of Mr. Trudeau's advisors while prepping for anticipated questions about the cabinet uh, when his swearing-in ceremony was complete. Now the press loved it because it was glib, and don't we all just love what I call faux clever? Or maybe members of the press didn't know what year it was. It's impressive to see the press fawning over the gender-balanced cabinet while completely ignoring the fact that Mr. Trudeau's comment was profoundly insulting to the qualified women who merited a cabinet position. The media was gaga over the new Justice Minister, Judy Wilson-Raybould, because she is the first Aboriginal person to serve as Justice Minister and Attorney General, even more so because she was a Regional Chief of the BC Assembly of First Nations in 2009. But that coverage obscured the fact that she's an accomplished lawyer, former Crown Prosecutor. She got the job because she had the chops to do it. Same with the new Minister in Charge of International Trade, Christia Freeland who I doubt became an editor at the Financial Times or the Globe and Mail, as well as a successful author by saying, pick me, I'm a woman. There was a good story to tell about the merits of many of the cabinet ministers. But instead, Mr. Trudeau got wrapped up in the familiar, politically correct, moral smugness that's so apparent in progressive circles. But it's also a reflection of a decades-old trend away from merit-based achievement. He was comfortable saying that. Because we're in an environment where merit isn't the case in so many instances. Mr. Trudeau himself is a product of that change. I mean, come on, I wish him well in the new job, but it's ludicrous to suggest that he'd be head of the Liberal Party, let alone Prime Minister, if his last name wasn't Trudeau. It's hard to pinpoint the precise date when the whole concept of merit went out of vogue. I mean, was it when we started to view everyone on the planet as a victim, buffeted by his or her social background, gender, anthropological roots, or parental upbringing? Was it when we viewed success as the result of exploitation of others I mean who knows but regardless of when it started the evidence is everywhere that merit and achievement as the basis for advancement has given way to other considerations seniority gender equality racial balance job security for life mentality for years we've lived with government bureaucracies that hire promote remunerate individuals but without consideration for merit in highly valued professions like teaching nursing Not only are the most mediocre performers, or worse, paid the same as the most brilliant dedicated ones, their representatives vehemently oppose any push to bonus on the basis of achievement. No measurability whatsoever. When it comes to leadership, a whole new style emerged where the position is not based on achievement but rather predicated on sort of a self-proclaimed goodness. In order to lead, you no longer have to be smart or brave, industrious or successful. No. Every measure of success is denigrated in favor of sort of a self-proclaimed deep reservoir of caring. I mean, people who proclaim that they care more about the environment or children's rights or the poor or working people naturally are superior to the rest of us and thus deserve to lead, while achievement is viewed with suspicion. I mean, activists are viewed with a reverence previously reserved for the clergy. Talk is far more valued than action. In the last three decades, a profound transition has also been happening in the boardrooms of the biggest private sector organizations. There are hundreds of examples of complete disconnect between the size of executive remuneration and company performance. I mean, golden parachutes await even the most dismal executive performers. Now, I'm going to leave you to ponder the consequences of this aversion to merit-based hiring and compensation. But I wonder if this shift reflects a change in attitude on the part of the majority of Canadians. I mean, clearly our income tax system doesn't recognize the value of hard work and initiative, and in fact punishes the worker by taking a higher percentage of his or her pay if they work overtime, for example. I mean, should our outstanding teachers be paid more than mediocre ones? Should CEO compensation be linked to performance? I mean, given the difficult economic and social challenges facing government, can we afford not to have the most talented and bright people in charge of government ministries and bureaucracies? I mean, obviously there's no definitive answers to these complex questions. But given the glib reaction to Mr. Trudeau's statement that, hey, it's 2015, I get the impression that the vast majority of the media and public think it's not even polite to ask. Well, my response is, when it's 2015, is that we are blessed to be in a country populated with a nation of talented, skilled, and energetic women, including in the Liberal Caucus, who don't need Mr. Trudeau's 1980-style pandering. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Go to soleraclub.com. Coming up, I've got Michael Levy, top three stories that smart people are talking about. Plus, we've got Mike's big fat investment idea. Looking forward to that. And Ryan Irvine's going to be feeding us a whole bunch of stock winners. Ryan's track record is exceptional. That's coming up too. Smart, uh, what I was going to say, shocking stat. Yeah, I've got a great shocking stat. One of the top stories of the week. All of that coming your way right here on Money Talks coming up mike's big fat investment idea travis dowell president fund manager Maxim capital management he'll be my guest coming up michael levy joins me on the line right now top three stories that smart people are talking about mike let's take off the gloves let's get out of the ring and give me number three
1: Well, Mike, number three is we're back at it again with LNG and the negative effect what pricing is going to do or could possibly do to Alberta and B.C., particularly B.C., headline being LNG golden promise fading for Goldman Sachs on wave of oversupply. And what they say is liquefied natural gas is cheap and it's only going to get cheaper.
0: Well, again, they have a report, and it's consistent with other reports out there that, again, I mean, we're talking about oil prices going down, natural gas prices really heading down, of course, liquid natural gas going down. So, yeah, I saw that some of their stuff, their projections for the spot price. No, it does not look rosy.
1: Well, it doesn't, Mike. Uh, Their 216 spot price forecast in Japan, South Korea to be $6.13 per million BTUs. And that uh, forecast uh, $5.19, dollars $5. 19 in 2017, $4.75 in 2018, 2019, when BC's LNG is expected to come online. Mike, in British Columbia, they need about $8, $8 for uh, um, per million uh, BTUs and uh... goldman sachs is talking about four dollars seventy five and just one more quick fact before we go to number two petronet is india's biggest importer and it's saving so much money by buying natural gas lng on the spot market that it's contracts for buying from qatar the leading exporter of lng worldwide they are not afraid to bake break those contracts that they have signed for the next ten years and buy on the spot market, and pay the penalty they will have to pay to Qatar. It's even going to be cheaper for them to do that.
0: Yeah, I saw that also, and I think that is significant. Uh, Number two, the first time I can think of is a Canadian bank got a credit downgrade. (laughs) Yeah,
1: on its own, Mike. uh, Moody cites growing consumer debt risk put Bank under review for rating downgrade. And, Mike, I mean, we, we've seen the Canadian banking industry be put on notice when some of the ground rules changed across the board. I can't remember when one of the big five was put on notice that they're looking at a rating downgrade.
0: But again, coming back to your point, this is because of consumer death risk, uh, debt risk, rather easy for me to say, that they're uh, you know, having a long look here.
1: Well, they are, Mike. It's uh, the accelerated, their accelerated growth and concentration on credit card and auto finance portfolios and taking it away from non or, or putting it into non-mortgage consumer loans. And when you have a hike in interest rate and you have put your eggs in the credit card and auto finance basket instead of marrying it with the mortgage loans and having a higher a number of mortgage loans, you're particularly prone to rapid deterioration in the event of an economic shock and exhibit higher defaults and loss severities, that according to Moody's
0: let me let me this is not related okay Mike so don't let's not I don't want to oversell this this is just they're putting it on review for that reason but here's your test question today when was the last Canadian bank to actually fail last Canadian bank was uh,
1: the Bank of Credit and Commerce in Canada and I remember it well they failed in 1991 Mike that was the last bank to fail before that the last Canadian bank to fail was in the late 1920s. That was the home bank of Canada. But one final point we're not talking with Scotia Bank of anything. No, not like at that. all. Not so at we all. We're yeah. talking of a rating, possible rating downgrade. And in this economic environment, it's very important to pay attention to yeah. that.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, and again, it doesn't mean they do it because, what, it was in August 2014, they put all the banks out there, you know because of their loan and credit card, uh, you know, compared to some of their peers. So this is just another kind of stage in that, but it's only a look at it. It's, it's have a look at it like they did, as I say, in August 2014. Uh, Mike, what's the number one story? Money's
1: flooding out of Canada at the f- fastest pace in the developed world, and that's as our decade-long oil boom comes to an end, and little else looks like it's ready to take its place. Money is leaving this country and leaving it big time, Mike.
0: Yeah, and that's, I mean, this is the key. I mean, we don't need an economics degree to sit back and say, hey, what are the key components? You need people and money coming into your jurisdiction. doesn't matter, provincial, city, uh, national. You need people and money coming in. So, yeah, when I saw that, Mike, I thought, no matter what, that is not a good sign. Economies don't grow when money's leaving. And Mike is
1: leaving on two platforms, too, which I find uh, exactly what you said. This is not good news. Canadian investors are pushing money abroad. Viz, just for a second, you and Victor, and myself, but you and Victor talking about putting uh, investment money into the United States. Well, that's what they're talking about. But also the huge outflow by Canadian corporations for mergers and acquisitions outside of canada and sending those canadian dollars out of the country in order to merge or acquire foreign corporations in order to get the needed growth that they need for their companies and for their shareholders
0: yeah as i say that's a worrisome one obviously it's uh, you know we're just talking about a shorter term trend that gets longer term trend as i say that's not good for the canadian economy mike uh, on that cheerful note Yeah, go ahead. Well, just just to give you one more figure here,
1: Mike, the Royal Bank just finished a five and a half billion dollar purchase of a Los Angeles City National Corp. Bank. They had to send that Mm.
0: 5.4
1: billion out of the country, and so far Mm. the net outflow this year, from January to November, is 73 billion dollars going out of Canada for mergers and acquisitions. Not money coming in, money going out. So you've got to see a lot lower Canadian dollar before we're going to see bargain hunters coming back into Canada.
0: There we go. Mike, so much to talk about. Great job. We'll talk to you next week. Good, Mike. Michael Levy here joins us with the top three stories that smart people are talking about. Hey, coming up, stay with me. Mike's big, fat investment idea, I got it for you. Travis Dowell is helping us hit a maximum capital. Stay with us right here on the Chorus Radio Network. Maxim Capital has had a double-digit performance record ever since its inception in the good markets and the very difficult ones. Actually, it's been a difficult year this year. Travis Dowell joins me on the line right now. We're talking Mike's big fat investment idea. Travis is uh, present, also the fund manager for Maxim Capital Management. Uh, Travis, uh, first of all, thanks for being with us and let's get right to it. What's your specific uh, thing we should put on our radar screen?
2: Thanks for having me on the show again, Michael. Um, my big fat idea for you is a company with a big fat pile of cash on its balance sheet that I think has longer term takeout potential. The company is Sandvine Corporation. Uh, they trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange under ticker SVC. Um, the company is a manufacturer and provider of hardware and software solutions to cable and telecommunications company. Interesting thing about their technology is that it enables their their large customers to monitor and manage the type of data traffic over their networks. And We all know there's lots more data flowing yeah. over uh, cell phone wireless networks these days. And for example, Sy- Sandvine could create a policy solution for one of its wireless service providers to monitor. Uh, Facebook traffic, for example, over its network and create a service offering or offering around that. Quite interesting stuff.
0: So a symbol, I'll just go again is s Victor C is in Charlie Sandvine Corporation. Uh, just give me one or two reasons why you put that on your radar screen with Maxim capital.
2: Absolutely. Well, Maxim's style is to look for, you know, sometimes unique opportunities and, and special situations. And Sanfine fits that bill for us because we think the shares have been overly beaten up over the, uh, over the last few months. The company reported two quarters of weaker results than expected. And investors, of course, don't like that and for generally for good reason. Uh, but again, we think they've been overly beaten up down to levels that are, are very attractive. So in short, very attractive valuation for us right now.
0: And what about their balance sheet? You alluded to it earlier, but you know we're in a world where you got to make sure people are stable that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We we look at the risk reward of every situation, every company that we invest in in our fund for our investors, and you know the valuation is, is cheap, but also the balance sheet is, is quite attractive. The company's got a a market capitalization of about four hundred million dollars, so it's a good size company. But half of that market capitalization, roughly, is represented by cash on their balance sheet, and they have no debt. So that's you know the company is about 270 a share right now um and about 135 per share of that is cash and interestingly we think the company can generate about 30 million dollars of ebitda sometimes a proxy for for cash flow in 2015 which means it trades at about five or six times uh earnings before interest debt and um yeah ebitda um and that means it's about 30 to 40% cheaper than its peers in uh in the same space that it operates in
0: yeah, and again, uh, that sort of solid balance sheet, I think, I, this is me talking, obviously, this is the style that you do at Maxim, in which I, you know, I got, I'll be the one saying, it's the one that's produced the double digits returns, uh, you know, since its inception, but I just think we're in an environment that you like that little bit of safety, so I, I always, that's why I ask about that kind of stuff. Let me just ask, who is this kind of appropriate for? I mean, is it, does it fit in the conservative side or the hybrid side, or, or you know, is this a trading kind of deal?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, you know, Sandvine, I think, is appropriate for the more patient and, you know, I put it in the, the more risk-oriented investors camp. I mean, we love the risk-reward profile of the company right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do expect there can be some share price volatility um, or the share price moving up and down, especially around quarterly earnings results, because, as mentioned, the results have been lumpy uh, and they're going after some some big prizes. So I think what this company and investor should expect to hold for, you know, at least a two to three year period, that's our target for it. Um, you know, and we've got, as an example, about a three and a half percent weight in, in our fund to give you an idea of how much capital we've allocated to mm-hmm. to the position.
0: But I think that's great. Yeah. So people should expect a two to three year hold. Uh, you know, with it. it, it fits in that sort of aggressive growth side of the portfolio. You like the risk reward for that category. Uh, all of the things that you just checked off there. Uh, Travis, thank you so much for taking the time. And I'll just remind people that uh, for more information, just on on Maxim, I, I just asked Travis if he could find time in the weekend to share the kinds of stuff that they do there. Uh, Maxim is M A X A M M A X A M C M dot com. Capital Management is what the initials for. Maxim Capital Management, MaximCM.com. Travis, uh, thanks so much for finding time.
2: Thank you, Michael. My pleasure.
0: Great stuff. And and by the way, uh, as I say, uh, check that out. A couple more things that I want to get to you, by the way, is just a reminder that the World Outlook Conference is coming up January 29th and 30th. I'm broadcasting today from the Marriott Hotel at Forrestal in New Jersey. That's where I am. Why am I here? Because I'm for the World Economic Conference here to chat with uh, our friend Martin Armstrong about all things economics, and uh, I'll be arm-twisting getting to sign on for the World Outlook Conference this year, January 29th and 30th. Uh, at the western bay shore you can still get the early bird uh... ticket price here and just a reminder we were completely sold out last year couldn't take another person that's why i'm going the early bird route this year and just reminding you to take advantage of that but as i say uh... It's coming. It's going to be great, and I'm just getting a taste of it this weekend. My thanks to the people at the Marriott Hotel, Rick Pagano, by the way, for arranging all the technical things that I needed to do to broadcast live here. Ryan Irvine is coming up. You know Ryan's work? We'll talk about a guy who's had a terrific performance record at the World Outlook because he is the one in control of the World Outlook small-cap portfolio. I'll get updates on that, more with Ryan and what kind of environment he thinks we're in. All of that right here on Money Talks.